Okay, but now, so now you understand a little bit more about the comment I made about why it's so tough to cross over. But now the job description changes, and you have to reinvent yourself. Doesn't mean that this was a waste of time. God doesn't waste anything. But now you're crossing over to where all that you learned here, you're discipling and teaching others. Now you're a teacher. Now we're reapportioning how you use your time. Now we're reallocating how you function. Now it's more important not what you accomplish personally, but what others accomplish. That's the key for your success over here is how much, other, how much you can impact others or facilitate others to accomplish God's work. That it's a different criteria, and it requires adjustment and reinvention of ourselves. So this, to sum it up, this would be job critical, and this is mission critical. Not that your job here wasn't contributing to the mission, but now you're in charge of a chunk of the mission. Here you were individually functioning and performing the, for the mission, contributing to the mission. But here you've got a chunk of real estate that's critical for the mission to get accomplished. Okay, so you're res responsible for getting things accomplished through others is the summation, I guess. Most organizations and we could throw in ministries and even people are not good at learning and or are not given an opportunity to learn. So consequently, we have a compliant culture instead of a commitment culture. But here, a compliant culture is one, if you envision, they say, a thermostat. A thermostat that automatically turns on the heat when the temperature hits 70 degrees. That works, right? Uh, okay. People who respond exactly as they are set and programmed, who respond immediately to an impulse and do what they are told to do. That's compliance. The thermostat that's set to 70, and when the temperature drops to 70, below the 70, the heat goes on. When people are, you want to read it again? People who respond exactly as they're, as they are set or programmed, respond immediately to an impulse and do what they are told to do. That's nice, but it's not going to help us build anything. It's not going to help us accomplish much because we need a commitment culture. What's that? Well, a thermostat that could ask or think, why am I set at 70 degrees? And and then creatively explore whether there's some other temperature that might more effectively achieve the goal. That's good, isn't it? What does that mean? Think. It means it's self-initiating, self, taking self-initiative. Uh, the best example, I haven't used this example in years, and I thought of it tonight in praying and preparing for tonight's session. And <clears throat> I, I haven't used it in years. But there was, let's look at the Proverbs process, and then I can best, best explain it. So we know from the Proverbs process that here's God, here's the leader, here's the team, or individuals on the team. And we know that the leader provides direction, the team gives us, uh, provides direction, the leader 
the lead of the team or the individuals on the team give us their plans, ideas, and recommendations to the direction that you gave or the question you asked or whatever, whatever opportunity you posed. And then number three is you commission this plan. And if you cannot commission it, then you coach them for success, which is discipleship. All of it's discipleship, but a huge part of discipleship. And then you obtain evaluation. And we went over this earlier. But in this particular illustration, talking about compliance versus commitment. So the leader, in this case, is the chief operating officer of this company. They made computer products, little uh, components that went into computers. And it was during the, the uh, tech, uh, just, you know, everything going crazy. And they couldn't produce the stuff fast enough. And <clears throat> so they, and, and they couldn't get it manufactured and warehoused and, sh and processed and shipped out. And they had to have a lot of inventory because a company would call this company and order so many of these that they had to have a stockpile there because the company going to do the purchasing is wanting to, yes, they want to go by price, service, and quality, which is how you evaluate a purchasing decision, price, service, and quality, but they don't really put some of those behind, they just need it now, okay? So even though your price is a little higher, and they, they will, I need it now because it's affecting their production, and everything was so highly torqued. So these guys had to have a large inventory of stuff. They would have a room this size, and you know, packed up with all the uh, the levels, and this stuff was, and so they were, they didn't have enough, and somebody'd come in and to take an order, and a chunk would go out, and they'd be wiped out, so then they couldn't fulfill the next order. So this guy says, the COO says to the head of purchasing and inventory control, he barks out an order. He said, "Get me some more warehouse space." Okay. Command and control, dictatorial. This guy says, yes, sir, and he gets on the phone, lines, lines up three days of commercial real estate uh, going appointments to look at properties and so forth so they can get more warehouse space. Now, if that's all he did, this would have been a compliant individual here. But what this guy did, he did what he was told, but what this guy did, he said, is this really the problem? Remember the thermostat that thinks? Okay. He said, is this really the problem? Let me think about this. You know, we make this thing. I don't know what it looked like. Cut me a little slack, okay? But maybe it looked like this and something, okay? And then they packaged it in like this with all those peanut things that get all over your yard at Christmas time, you know? The, they boxed it in the insulation and everything. Okay. And he, and he said, is this really the problem? And <clears throat> we've run out of warehouse space. Is that really the problem? And he said, you know, if there was a better way to package this thing, we wouldn't need as much warehouse space. So he said, you know, we should get a PVC package and put this in here like, you know, the same thing go, it, over in here. 
made out of hard shell PVC, plastic, you know. And he, rec and he offered that idea here to the COO over here. And, of course, it, it, was, it was accepted. What, it, what I'm trying to illustrate to you here is this guy barked out a command, get more warehouse space. The problem was not a warehouse problem. It was a packaging opportunity. And look, and it also affected their shipping, their inventory, obviously the space it required, but it also, it was lighter. It was, they could even see the product through the PVC, so it helped in their picking on the assembly line. They didn't make as many mistakes because they had a bunch of these that looked very similar. There were about five or six advantages. But the advantage that I'm trying to highlight to you is that we need people who can think over here. That's people that are committed, not compliant. And people, they're wonderful. These are the same people, poorly led. Hear me. These are, we can't criticize the people for being compliant. They've just had bad discipleship. So they just wait and follow instructions. Because why? Because you've created a command and control, autocratic, dictatorial culture instead of a culture that welcomes wisdom, understanding, counsel, and knowledge, and like that guy offered. A thermostat that thinks. A discipleship mindset or a disciple shift. If you come to serve here, you will sacrifice the security of the safe approach in which you can count on arriving at a predictable goal or achieve exactly only what you were directed to do. It's a thermostat that's set. But you will have an opportunity to express your personal experiential learnings and giftings and give them voice to help create a future that would not exist without you. You're helping create a future that wouldn't exist without you. And you, you know from the basic training, I, I've used that illustration. Why, do, why does God put people right here next to us? Why does he entrust them to you and to me? Because there's something in here he wants in them. So that they could go six times those that direction, maybe 20 years from now one of those flags and start a work or touch a soul because you put something in them next Thursday. That, thank you, brother. That's what this is all about. And <clears throat> then also, why are they here? Because there, thank you, there's something in them that God needs in you. That's why we sit here. So that's why as facilitators, we disciple and we receive input, which is also discipling. Individual willingness to disciple themselves. To, so you, you're willing to be discipled. You're learning. You never stop learning. But to offer qualities critical to successful innovation, to continue to build something. And that takes courage and curiosity and integrity, and empathy, and drive. P pretty strong words. 
Okay. Um, what are some of the difficulties? Well, I'll try to, there's a lot of them, but let me try to highlight one as an example, or a number of them that fall into the same grouping. Um, one is, we talked about it earlier, but you create constructive conflict. That's what a facilitator does. We can't be scared of conflict. It's a good thing done here. Then we leave the meeting in unity. We talked about that earlier. But what we need is colliding or conf conflicting points of view, perspectives, um, experiential learnings that are going to collide. We're going to see the same thing sitting here on the table from different perspectives based on our education, our culture, the people we've worked with in the past, the things that we've been taught, the tools that we acquired, the problem-solving skills that we've learned. But we're going to learn more problem-solving skills by seeing how other people view problems and solve problems. That's the advantage of team discipleship. But now let's get honest. We're all different, as we just established. But you have different types of people that you're going to facilitate. And so that's why it becomes an art form. That's why the skill set is so important. But like what is the difference? What are some of the differences as an example? And, and these become difficulties until we become more skillful. At, doing, at, at being a facilitator. Analytical people versus intuitive people, or people who operate on gut checks versus people that have to have it all exactly spelled out, or conceptual versus experiential. Some of us are conceptual in thinking. Some of us are experiential in thinking. Some of us are social, and some of us are independent. So some people you know, are gonna, they're going to get really excited about, you know, let's, let's just, well, some people are going to go right for the bottom line, you know, or if we're spirit storming, or we've had a number of people comment, okay, let, okay, that's enough, let's get to, let's go right now, fix it, and move on. Come on, what are we, what are we doing here, messing around? You know, this team stuff, we, that's nice, but let's get something accomplished. So we got three ideas, and that's the end of it. And other people just want to continue this forever. We don't, let's not ever come up with a plan. Let's just, <laughs> let's just, this feels so, this feels so good. Jeez, let's, let's just keep doing it. So you got that challenge. Some people, let's wrap it up now. And other, no, let's keep. So you're, as a facilitator, you strike a balance. Logical versus values-driven. Or maybe explaining it a little bit better, a detail guy versus the vision thing. You know? Ah, that's enough of the vision. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. You know? <laughs> I know you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. You are one of these. You're on one side or the other. We all are, even at different times in different situations. Um, then there's the concept man that deplores, de deplores all this endless analysis stuff. Oh, gee, facts? I mean, you know, come on, let's get, let's get with it, conceptual. And, then, and we need both. That's my point. We need both. That's what I meant by colliding, or I, earlier today I said conflicting. You're creating constructive conflict. 
um, the entrepreneur versus the pragmatist, you know? Oh, that'll never work. Versus the guy, anything will work. Just get to work, you know? <laughs> Individualist considers the demands of the team versus the team is an utter waste of time. Yeah, some people are going to say, this is ridiculous. You know, I got work to do in the youth department. And I got to go in here and listen to all these other bozos. So I, what do I care? What do I care about all this stuff? Well, why do you care? Because the leader needs all the wisdom he can get. We need a multitude of counsel and all the common sense we can get. Proverbs. All the facts out on the table and all the common sense we can get. That's why we work in teams and that's why you're on it. And we need to know what you think, youth director, about the children and missions and everything else we're doing. <laughs> Another guy from Harvard and also went to MIT, so he's got something going for him. Doesn't mean he's emotionally mature, he just IQ, you know, a lot of IQ. But he did have some good things to share here, which I've kind of amplified on or put in my own words. But um, one style, dictatorial, autocratic. It's the antithesis of what we're talking about here. But, and I, I just want you to see the difference because it'll be hard for you to be a facilitator of discipleship if you don't understand the difference here. You, and then we'll get to, we'll learn tomorrow probably how to, how to unpack this thing and how to do it in real time with real people. How to listen, how to, how to uh, function and facilitate uh, teamwork. But you need to work, you need to, here's one perspective, is you need to get to work for Christ, and let's see what we can get out of them instead of what we can put in them. Because of the lack of proper discipleship, people feel and act that way, and people, people feel compliant, feel like I just do whatever they ask. You know, that's, this is a, the kind of culture we established here versus the alternative where God created all of his people with the desire in their DNA to be first and foremost involved in something of value, to be able to contribute to something. And once properly discipled, people become more self-disciplined when they have proper discipleship. Those two things go together, discipline and discipleship and discipline. Experiential assignments are exciting. They're a learning opportunity in fulfillment organizations, and they're fulfillment opportunities. When people are empowered, they flourish. We talked about all this later. I'm just recapping. Stretch, enrichment, assignments. That's what we talked about before dinner. Assignment challenges and increases their capabilities, their competence, and their capacity. Empowerment leads to motivation, value, and so forth. The average person has an inherent dislike of work. So this is what we're facing. <laughs> this is what we're facing. The average person has an inherent dislike of work. They will avoid it at all possibility. But look, when you, when you can contribute to something of value, then it's no longer work. So this is not work for me. You know, when, you know, it, that you'll, if you love what you're doing, you'll never work another day in your life. That's what we're talking about here. So needs, so leadership... Facilitators need to put emphasis on productivity. Oh, well, when people, because, I'm sorry, I'm on the negative. When people don't like to work, then what, what happens in organizations is we put incentive programs in or we force people into productivity, and obviously that doesn't work. 
People do not have commitment, do not get motivated with that kind of technique. Now, facilitation, to facilitate a team here requires a number of things, and I'll just give you a half a dozen. But let's, let's make sure we understand what they are. First of all, to facilitate means you are making sure that everybody contributes. Now, when you sit down for the first time with your team, some people are going to monopolize the conversation, and other people are going to offer you nothing because they're timid, particularly if you've never done this before. You know, you're, you're, they're, they don't want to get blown out of the water. They don't know how you're going to respond. They're going to be sitting back watching your body language and somebody else speaks to see whether you like what they're saying or not. They're still going to be reading you because of the command and control. So don't go there. Start out as a facilitator. Start out with a clean slate and build a relationship and get everybody involved and let them know how are they going to get involved when you provide them a safe harbor. The, the four keys to this process are what? Questions, listen, a safe harbor, and honesty. So if you can get those four down pat, you'll be a very good facilitator of the Proverbs process, of this discipleship process. So people feel safe saying what they see and think and feel safe. So you, ha you make it easy for them to contribute. I've already said that. So as a facilitator, you are making it easy for them, safe for them to say what they feel, what they see and think and feel. That's your job as a leader, is to give them license to share what they, because we're trying to get all the facts out on the table. How do you turn an issue which, which comes from facts and a, and a problem, cause and the effect, turned into an opportunity. But the issues are facts, and it's, there are two kinds of facts. One is a quantitative fact, like 10 to, we, God sends 100 people to our door, and we keep 10 or 15 of them. Or we have a 10 to 15% assimilation process. Well, that's a quantity. That's a fact. But then what people see and think and feel sitting around the table here or around your table is also a fact. And your job as the facilitator of the team here is to get all the facts out on the table because everything starts with the facts according to the Scripture. Starts with the facts. Then we apply common sense to the facts. That's why the arrows point in. Common sense to the facts. You've heard this, many of you, from your pastor. And then we turn the facts or the issues into opportunities with a wise plan. So we, we need a wise plan. So that's the formula. Issues and problems turned into opportunities. Fa starts with the facts, common sense applied to the issue on the table, and then we turn it into a wise plan. So every single meeting, you're reinventing your department or your, part, your facet of the ministry. It's really a challenge to not play your cards first. Not, by not playing your hand, tipping your hand, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. Because uh, particularly when you're learning to facilitate a team meeting, 
You, you cannot play your hand because they're going to, what, what are they inclined to do is to tell you what they think you want to hear instead of what needs to get out on the table or what you need to hear. So this is, that's what a facilitator does, is to get out on the table what needs to be heard by the team to make a good decision. So we have to get all the facts. And then we take the matters to God for direction. But we go blindly to God if we don't have all the facts because we don't know everything. God can't speak to us if we have a blind spot. So we need the input of others into our life. With not just plans here, but ideas, recommendations, and what they see and think and feel. Those are facts. So as facilitators, we elicit what people see and think and feel. And there's freedom to share. We're done with respect and dignity. And that means that the seed... You, look, if God puts something on your heart, as a team, uh, their heart, in your case, you're the leader. The, you, you leaders are the facilitators now here with your teams. And God puts something on someone's heart to share in, the, in your team meeting, then we have to instruct them. We have to establish what the rules and expectations are, but they plant the seed one time. They don't keep badgering you. They don't keep, and you don't do that to your pastor or your leader, but we, we have to plant the seed. And I was talking to a precious couple earlier, and we were talking about this very thing. When God puts something on your heart, you must plant the seed. And then it's up to God to grow it. But you know, badger, anything growing in there yet? You know, you see it my way and hit them six ways to say, no, you just plant the seed one time. That's your job. And then let God grow it. So these are, these are things that are kind of common sense, but if you're not artful at doing these, they, these require skill and the practice over time. I'm sure this is not revelation to anybody, but it does require skill, and these are things we have to refine. Judge ourselves rightly. How well did I create a safe harbor that time? You know, somebody offered something and I blew them out of the water. Well, that wasn't real safe. You know, no, we're not, no, well, thanks for the input there, Bob, but no, we're going over here. <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, and no, that's, that's you, so you're going to be able to refine your skills and your, the art forms of doing this. No hidden agenda. You're, so you're sitting here, you know, and you're saying this, you know, come on, we want all the facts. And then, you know, your body language or your response is, you know, you got, you're just placating them. You know, oh, well, the, you know, pastor likes that guy that blows in here once in a while, the guy with the mustache. And so, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to, uh, you know, do this game here. So come on, hurry up, because I've got my own agenda. So but I'll listen to your stuff there for, for a little while. But we're, I know where we're headed. So you're not listening with, to be open for change. You're railroading. You're going to railroad it through anyway. You're just placating people. Well, they see that. That, they see that so fast, and you just ruined a relationship because you've disrespected them by treating them that, that poorly. So you can't, have, you can't be railroading. You can't have a hidden agenda. There's an art to doing this. There's an art. What are some of the act, other active actions that 
you take as a facilitator. And you're going to say, you know, this isn't, re no, this is not revelation. This is just takes practice. And what do you do? You take a risk. Let's, let's look at that. You, you take a risk. This is going to be, for, you're sitting here for the first time. Hopefully you've, got a, you've been given a fighting chance to succeed by your leader who discipled you, you know, but you're still going to be nervous. This is the first time you've done this, you know, and now I've got I to gotta facilitate this meeting, you know. Well, take a just take a risk and sit in the chair and take what you've learned and start to apply it. But will we know it? Will we be able, really great at it? No, that's not the criteria. It's a, we're all learning. Admit that you're learning. Admit that you're learning and begin. Then once the meeting is over, judge yourself rightly. So well, what worked? What didn't work? What do I need to change? And then make the change. And the next time, you'll be that much better. You just keep refining and perfecting your ability. Is that you're, you don't sit down here day one any more than anything else you do in life. You don't sit here day one and be great. But nobody's asking you to be great. Somebody, we're just asking you to take the risk and sit here and begin to learn. Crossing over. But that's a big crossover. You know, just, no, no. I, <laughs> thanks a lot, Pastor, but I, you know, I'm not into that. <laughs> just leave me here, please. I don't want to be over there. Well, thank you very much, Pastor. I appreciate you telling me I'm the best, you know, and I need to be here, and I've done such a great job, but, you know, see, I can do all things through Christ just with children. That's it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so they don't want to sit here, many, many of you. And, and God wants you here. Why? Because this is the doorway to your continued growth and reaching your destiny in him. So your greatest fear is the gateway to your greatest victory. Your greatest fear. This, this is scary sitting here. But this is where your victory is. You're in your destiny for Christ. I'm going here. I'm t my Holy Spirit's taking me right here. Your greatest fear. My greatest fear was public speaking. Jim Preston at Avon. I mean, I, I was still scared to death of it. And I did a lot of presentations, but I was scared. I'd be in the back waiting to come out. Jesus, Jesus. That was when I knew him. Before that, I, I don't know what I did. <laughs> didn't work. <though. laughs> but <laughs> I came, came out from behind the curtain, you know. And then, but... Jim Preston, he said, you're presenting, I presented the, the whole advertising campaign, international and domestic, millions of dollars. And, and he, he said, great. I mean, it wasn't entirely great, but he's, you know, he approved it. And, uh, and he said, okay, I want you to present it to the board. I said, oh, that, thanks a lot, but look, I'll get it all buttoned up and make it perfect for you, but you present it because they know you, you know. <laughs> I know. They don't know me. He said, that's my point. I want them to know you. And he taught me. He said, you, you need to make sure that people know who's on your team. Give them an opportunity. Teach them. Give them, a, give them an experience. He, he knew that. He knew about empowerment. And so he said, you're presenting to the board. And if it wasn't for people that cared enough about me 
to push me, stretch me, he stretched me. Then guess what? My biggest fear. I couldn't be here. I couldn't do this. But he, he was a pusher, a stretcher in my life. Pushed me to overcome my fear. But your greatest fear is the gateway to your greatest. This is the greatest victory for me. This, this, there's nothing better than doing this. And all that stuff I chased my entire career for, position, power, prestige, prominence, whatever, it, it would have never given me the joy of significance that this gives me. So my greatest fear, that's exactly what the devil's fighting you over. He wants to keep you from achieving your destiny. So he will put fear in the thing that will be your greatest victory. Are you hearing me? I know it's late, but that's why I segued it here. I figured it was enough teaching. Let's just do something that you can relax and listen to. But how do we get people to cross over? Why do I call it crossover? Why do we even term it that? It's a, you know, making a transition, making a discipleship. How do we get people to cross over? How, you know, here, it's leave me alone. I'm, I like it. It's safe over here. I'm comfortable. I've learned enough, you know. We need you over there. And so here's Jane. She's the best we have. Jane, I need you to take, Jane, I need you to take this. Take on this. You're, you've done an awesome job with children's ministry. You're the best leader I have. But I need you to sit here and take on this assimilation thing. And, and, Thank you. Back to Jane. Uh, thank you very much, Pastor, but I can do all things through Christ just with children. And what Jane is saying is, I can't cross over the Jordan here because there's giants over there. What, what, are, what do you mean, the giants? The giants. I have to learn new things. I have to make mistakes. I'll have to build new relationships. I'll have to build a team. I'll have to confront issues. I'll have, to, I'll have to just leave me here. I've gone far enough for Christ. This, this is it, you know. This is enough for him here. And so all of us face these things. I faced many, many. You all faced them. That's how you got where you are today. But we've got to help people go the distance. So God's opening a door right now. So wh wh how would we help Jane cross over the Jordan to the land of giants? And you'll be better at this than I, but Jane, I see things in you that perhaps you're not giving yourself credit for. Remember? Remember back here, too, we had that you didn't want to move into the children's department. Just let me be one of the team members. I don't, you know, and look what happened. Look, you took the challenge on. You took a risk. I know it's scary over there. You're going to have to learn new things. You're going to have to build new relationships and build teams. You're going to make mistakes. Yes, I can understand your reluctance to move over there. But, Jane, let, let, let me tell you, I, I care about you. And I want, I want to partner with you and build a relationship for your success. I want you to make it over. I want to prove to you that you can do this. I won't do your work for you. I won't do your job, but I'll coach you. I'll teach you. I'll mentor you for success. That's my responsibility, but I, that's, what I, that's what I will do for you if you are willing to learn and apply yourself to the teaching I give. I'll show you. Now, look, I'm not into abuse. I won't override your will. If you, you, know, you, if you take the risk, 
and we cross over together, then I'll, I'll be with you. But if you decide that's more than you can handle, I, I, pastor I, or leader, I can't deal with this, then I'll let you out. I'm not into abuse. I'm not going to override your will. But would you be willing to take the risk? And I'll be with you. Well, you know, anything like that, as long as you built a trust relationship, a, a trust relationship up till now, then they're going to believe that. And they're going to cross over. Everybody? No. Not everybody, but many. A lot more than any other way of doing it. But that's called discipleship. That's what it is. And that's what we have to do to help people cross over. All those crossovers I mentioned earlier, membership, getting on a team, becoming a leader, becoming a team leader, and becoming a leader of leaders, and becoming a core, all of them are crossover opportunities. And I, that's what we would tell Jane. I have a responsibility to help you be all you can be for Christ. And I, and I, I, I will commit myself to this cause. You're valuable. And, and I'll, I'll show you. But God's opening a door here for you. And your greatest fear is the gateway to your greatest victory. Will you go through it? Will you go through the door? And that's what our job is. When God opens the door, then we help them through.